0: Hello, and welcome to Farscape Friday episode 60. I'm Kay here with my co-host Taz. Hello. Today we'll be discussing the 16th episode of season three, Revenging Angel. Let's get started. Welcome back. Here's a quick summary of Revenging Angel. Dargo is learning to fly his ship, and something goes catastrophically wrong. He blames John and nearly kills him in the confrontation. As John is stuck in a mental cartoon version of the real world, the rest of the crew struggle to keep Dargo's ship from self-destructing and killing Moya.
1: Welcome to the Looney Tunes episode. So this is one of the benefits of having a character that exists solely in John's head, and that's that we get an episode plotline set there, which John turns into this wacky cartoon landscape. It's a lot of fun, and it breaks up what could be a really dark exploration of John's psyche into something that's a lot lighter.
0: Yeah, I think that getting to see what's really going on in John's head is really interesting, because we've had a few episodes now of the two different Johns, and we get to really see here where the difference is between the John that's on Moya and the John that's on Talon is. And it's that the John that's on Moya has like this deep-seated bitterness and anger at the John that got to run away with Aaron.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the same time, I think this episode also highlights how they're similar. Because the landscape that we see in the cartoon, it's all about wormholes. But at the end of the episode, I'm just going to go ahead and spoiler, it's it's really John's love for Aaron that saves him, mm-hmm. you know? So this whole journey he's on with the cartoons and Harvey trying to force him to, to find vengeance as his meaning for life, it really brings us always back to Aaron as being the most important person to John Crichton and the reason that he has to come back to the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, and I think it's interesting that we've talked in the past a little bit about how the John that's on Moya, he doesn't have Aaron anymore. So kind of these two poles that he has, the pole to go home and the pole to explore wormholes, and then the pole for his love for Aaron, he only has one pole at this, mm-hmm. essentially. It's like, it's like he's a compass with one pole. And so he's he's just yanked towards wormholes because there's no way he can have Aaron. And so that's kind of interesting because we saw how balanced and how fun and how full of laughter the John on Talon was before he died in Infinite Possibilities. And it's just a contrast to to mm-hmm. have that kind of that really well-balanced good guy John and then the kind of cartoonish, but at the same time very real violence that John is doing in the lo- in this episode, in, in you know, his Looney Tunes fantasy.
1: Right. And I would also say that this episode is a bit of transition for this John, the one that's been on Moya back to the plot line that has Aaron in it because we're coming to the end of the split of the two Johns, obviously with the death of Talon John. And so this is kind of that transition moment for Moya John to having Aaron back in his life. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's, uh, I don't know. I love this episode. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I just, I love the conceit of just, hey, we're just going to put live, you know, animation into your episode of people in space <laughs> because we can. <laughs> You know,
0: (laughs) I mean, and it works. It works in like so many ways. When I was watching this the first time when I was a teenager, I remember watching this and not being not impressed, but I just remember thinking, like, oh, this is a very fluffy filler episode. And then it's like only on rewatch that I'm realizing, like, ooh, this episode is like harsh.
1: Yeah yeah there's a lot going on here, and it's easy to think to get lost in the the lightness of it. It's like the cartoon part's a bit of a distraction from some of the underlying themes because the real tension here for at least for the John Crichton storyline is he has Harvey in his head, right
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Harvey is like the way to survive is vengeance and John is like, no, it's not the way I want to survive but he doesn't he's because he has a head injury he can't resist. Harvey from basically forcing him to try and confront Dargo with vengeance in his own mind.
0: Yeah. Harvey at first doesn't even approach it as, like, get vengeance against Dargo. He's like, get vengeance against the John that stole Aaron. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of this, like, weird self-hatred that I think actually is really interesting because that that self-hatred comes so naturally to Scorpius like mm-hmm. Scorpius hates so much about himself essentially S- Scorpius just hates the scaring part of himself and I think in that hatred there just is like this kind of weird knot of who Scorpius is and we really saw that clearly in Incubator mm-hmm. and yet that sort of thing doesn't really come naturally to John You know, that isn't who he is. He He can't hate himself for doing something.
1: Yeah. That's that's an interesting way of putting it. I like that. Yeah. Because John, John is comfortable in himself for, you know, that's the one thing that makes him John Crichton on this show amongst all these people who are having these crises of identity. His identity is one of the ones that's been relatively stable throughout. I mean, he's gone through problems but his not questioning himself, his sense of self, the same way Aaron has had to question herself to self, or Rigel has to grow as a person, you mm-hmm. know? And Scorpius, yeah, that that dude had a hard life. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't excuse anything. But yeah, Incubator really puts the the limelight on, on Scorpius and, and how much he just loathes something so intrinsic to himself, which is his scare in half.
0: Yeah, so getting started, the episode opens on... <laughs> Dargo flying his ship, kind of, because they're still in the hangar. He's essentially just floating it, you know? Yeah. And remember,
1: this is the ship that they took away at the end of...
0: Sons and Lovers.
1: Sons and Lovers that they found. It was one of the ones that was kind of either docked or in the debris field around the space station, and they caught it. And it was a Luxon ship, which is why why Dargo was attracted to it. And it's that kind of tiny... I mean, it's not tiny, but it's small. It's like a shuttle kind of size. It's silver. Mm-hmm. And speaking Luxon was what got Dargo inside of it in the first place. And that's about as far as he's gotten a little bit farther by now. He's f- starting to figure out some of the commands, but it's, it's written in ancient Luxon, which becomes a point later on. Mm-hmm. And something goes wrong and we never know what goes wrong we don't see anything happen we just know that suddenly lights are going off and that the shuttle is doing something and then there's like a countdown and all basically it fries all the on electrical systems on moya Mm -hmm. and dargo thinks john did something because john was sitting in the ship with him at the time
0: yeah and the the setup is also that Dargo is talking to John and John is essentially like, "Oh hey, look, you know, you're doing something really great. You know, this is like you're making your ship fly." And Dargo goes on this speech about how he you know, he's lost his son, he's lost his fiance, he's lost his wife, he's lost everything, and the ship is all he has left, so of course he's pouring all of his energy into it. And it's fascinating to me that for a guy that's always giving John crap about wormholes and his fascination with wormholes given that john has pretty much lost an equal amount to like they've both lost a lot yeah and then dargo's like oh yeah you know but wormholes are unhealthy and clearly me putting all of my self-worth into this ship is like not unhealthy at all
1: (laughs) (laughs) well we all have blind spots about ourselves so but no, it's a, it's a good little parallel that this has become Dargo's hobby on on Moya. And, you you know, it's kind of one of those downtime episodes, like this is what happens between planets, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. they accidentally blow themselves up kind of thing. So like, they're just kind of hanging out because there's nothing else to do, even though they've been bickering all season. And there's even a little bit of that tension in this one, in the little conversation that they have at the beginning. And it's just like, so so what do you do on Moya when you're not being shot at? And you're Mm -hmm. trying to avoid people. And this is what Dargo does.
0: Mm -hmm. So like we said, something goes wrong in the ship. John and Dargo stumble out of the ship. And then Dargo attacks John violently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's more like shoving, but it's like really hard shoving. And it knocks John into a wall and something falls on his head and basically puts him into a coma. Mm -hmm. The implication is Dargo went into some sort of hyper rage. You know, he couldn't control his anger because he blames John. And it's kind of this, I don't know, almost a culmination also of like, they're just this tension that's been between them, we, mm-hmm. which we saw really highlighted in Scratch and Sniff when they're always fighting each other. And they got thrown off the ship by pilot because they're bickering all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that is true. As a continuation of that tension, I think that this makes a lot more sense. Because my, my kind of overall question in this, in this episode, really is, like, why is Dargo so angry at John? Because, like, then the next clip we have is after a whole bunch of boxes that are – it's so funny because, like, clearly we're supposed to believe that they were, like, really heavy boxes. But you can also <laughs> tell, like – you're like, no, these boxes were empty. It's hilarious. But so, like, all these really heavy boxes fall on top of John's head. And then we cut to him in the medical bay and Jewel is, like, caring for him. And she's, like, asking Pilot what's going on, and Pilot's like, oh, well, Dargo's ship is self-destructing, so that's what's going on. (laughs) So fix John because we need, you know, because, like, things are going wrong. And then Dargo's in there with him, and he's still blaming John, you know? And I found that really hard because I'm like, you literally put him in a coma, you know? He's got, like, blood pooling in his brain, and his brain is, like... Swelling, probably. Yeah,
1: you know, it didn't really surprise me though because I feel like that's a really common reaction to you know, you did something wrong and you feel bad about it, but you don't want to admit you did something wrong. And so you just dig down and double down on why you did it, because clearly he was justified that John did something, he deserved it. And no, I did not overreact. I reacted appropriately to the situation. So clearly it's not my mm-hmm. fault that he ran into a wall that I pushed him into and boxes fell on his head. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like a very defensive Uh, posture that Dargo takes and I mean I'm not condoning it because he definitely overreacted and you should never push someone so hard that they're going to fall into a coma but for Dargo I can see it as being something that he would do.
0: Mm. Yeah that makes sense and Gianna who has always has a really good Dargo bullshit meter. (laughs) She kind of (laughs) is like calling him on it. And then he gets so mad. He throws his qualta blade like away from him. And she's like, that's really mature. That definitely shows that you were acting well.
1: (laughs) I know we have another instance of Chiana being like the adult of the room and they're in pilot's den when that happens. So, so Dargo has thrown it basically, you know, how pilot's Den doesn't have any railing or anything. It's just like empty space below and it falls down into the depths of, of the neural nexus or the space that's uh, the empty space around the neural nexus. Cause the neural nexus is like the, the center column, but yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like complete, complete child rage and I think Gianna's absolutely right when she calls him like that's mature <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're right it is Gianna the only adult in the room oh that's so funny. yeah
1: I mean John's unconscious
0: uh, so the b-plot for kind of this episode really well I don't even know if it is the b-plot because to be honest like the ship exploding is like much more important than John's whole like self-exploration
1: but it's not just John's self-exploration. It's like if he doesn't pull himself out of the coma, he's going to die. So we have John dying because he can't mentally get himself together, which, okay, for concussion, first of all, that's kind of <laughs> BS. But we're just going to go with Farscape medical practices because they don't have Zan, And so they're, they're doing the best they can. And then, <laughs> um, And then you have, on the other hand, everyone's going to die when the ship self-destructs. So there's there's lots of threat of death going on in this surprisingly fun episode.
0: Are you implying that the planet with healing vines <laughs> and the pull yourself out of your coma by your bootstraps method of <laughs> medical practice is not accurate? <laughs> just maybe. I just want to point that out there because you don't want to victim
1: blame the person that got a coma, got into a coma. I mean, seriously. Oh, there's man. enough of that going around.
0: <laughs> so funny. So um, ah, uh, I just love Dargo throwing his Qualta blade. I'm like, oh, sure, that's not going to come back to bite us later. <laughs> just like spoilers, it does. Him giving Aaron his Qualta blade. Oh, of course.
1: Yeah. Just completely. The nice. Qualta
0: blade is always where it needs to be. Yeah. To
1: cause maximum drama.
0: Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh. So. Then we go into John's head and the way they do John's head this whole episode is, is really clever because it's a mix and match between real life, like, you know, like a live action cartoons and then kind of the, this like alternate live action in John's head. So his own head is kind of switching between like what's actually happening, his imagining of what's happening, this cartoon version of what's happening. It's I, I would I would suggest going to rewatch this episode. I I know we always say that about every single episode, <laughs> but this one this one and Scratch and Sniff I think are so visual and the puns are so good that you know mm-hmm. you just really have to do it.
1: Yeah, and a lot of them are on screen. it's just really fun to see. Yeah. So the first one opens and and we see John has been is in the medical area. He's lying on a a gurney basically. He's covered, you know, he has a shirt off and he's covered with a gold blanket. And then you see Harvey walk in and then he says, John, you're dying. And John says, I know. And He pulls the blanket over his head and you're in his head and he's just like in denial. And then when he, the blanket comes off of him a little bit later, he's wearing a flannel shirt and a white t-shirt and jeans and sneakers. And so it's very clearly a mental landscape and not his normal, I live on Moya clothing. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's how they're kind of distinguishing those those two spaces.
0: And Scorpius essentially confronts him and wants to know what are his reasons for living. And I, I want to play that because this is when we begin to see that thread of Scorpius and revenge. You know what's
1: happening? Yeah. I'm dying.
0: Let's see what's left in the fuel tank. Go away and let me do what I got to do. Oh, i to find a reason to live. I got plenty of reasons. Then give me the letterman list. Earth, dad, pizza, sex, cold beer, fast Cars, sex,
1: Aaron, love. Well, we're both dead. Screw you. None of that crap will get the job done, John.
0: You die, you drag me with you. You want some advice? No. Revenge. Revenge. Yes. Love is transient, vapors. And guess who Aaron loves right now? He wins. You lose. Thank you for coming, Galway. Revenge is the strongest emotion, go John. Galway, go. puts you here. Live to even the Goodbye, score. Goodbye, Bye-bye. Your mind is no longer strong enough to control my comings and goings. Is that a challenge? <laughs> <laughs> How did you... Looney Tunes. Wasted energy, John. Now focus!
1: Revenge is deep within your psyche. A core vestige from your earliest evolution. Unleash it now! No. This
0: after-school special! Dissipates our chances of survival, John.
1: You really want revenge? Oh, yes. Okay. (gasps) (gasps) Revenge. But only for you. (laughs) So basically right there the music is your audio cue for what's going on on the screen when it starts to change that's when john has mentally put scorpius into cartoon and that last whistle you hear at the end is a was a hundred thousand ton anvil i don't think it's anvil shape but it's a weight it's a cartoon weight that falls and slowly falls down and lands on scorpius cartoon style And it just—it's such a great introduction to what this episode is going to be because the the room around them is still the real world, and then it's just these these two elements that are animated to begin with.
0: Mm -hmm. I want to point out that whoever's doing the music this season has been really on point. They've been really—I think it's still Guy Gross. Yeah, they've been. I mean, he's been using the music like really effectively. We had that in Meltdown, Scratch and Sniff, and now this episode—it's just really. It's really well done in a way that I think – somebody put it that, like, you don't really notice music unless it's really good or really, really bad, essentially, or you're not supposed to notice it unless it's really, really bad. But I think that here it's one of the rare times where, like – he always uses the music so effectively as part of the storytelling. And I think yeah. that if you just had any of those episodes, you know, meltdown, crash and sniff revenging angel. If you had any of those without this specific kind of music that he chose as like indicators of either a different time or a flashback or a different kind of reinteraction, then it just wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be as good
1: it wouldn't be nearly as good it really makes it because it just it it sets the setting of what is happening and it sets the tone of what's happening and it then it carries it through with all these like subtle cues about you know should we be taking this seriously should we not it, and then it's also in this episode especially the the music is like all the sound effects and also it's all the action too because there's a lot of silence you know, there's no dialogue for a lot of the cartoon parts. It's all, it's basically Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. We'll get into that in a minute. And so it's all in the sound effects for how it it highlights what's happening on the screen. Mm -hmm. I want to get back a little bit to uh, Scorpius and Harvey's role here. Because as he says, he has more control than John does at the moment. So John can't just put him in the dumpster like he has been able to and banish him into the recesses of his mind. So Harvey actually has more control because John has a brain injury. And John, however, can play defense, and his defense is to turn Scorpius into a cartoon. And so that's something to keep in mind throughout this episode, like all of the sequences of John and Dargo basically being faced off in this cartoon world, is Harvey is driving that. Harvey is the one who wants to pit them against each other, so John will to take his revenge against Dargo, because that's ultimately what it ends up being. But... John is mitigating that action by turning it into a cartoon and cartoon violence. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting on John's part and says a lot about, about him and his, you know, his relationship to violence is like, you know, in media culture, we're all saturated and violent and violent TV shows. You know, murder mysteries are super common on TV. Everyone's seen these cartoons or versions of these cartoons or other kinds of cartoons that you grew up with that also have lots of violence in them. And it's just so normalized. So that's how John can translate something that, that Harvey wants to create this destructive impulse in him but John can like dissipate that destructive impulse through this acceptable form of violence. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense. It reminds me almost of the Ren and Stimpy cartoons from Mm. Simpsons, where it's like the Ren and Stimpy cartoons are super clearly an extreme version of these Looney Tunes cartoons, where it's like the violence is so awful, and yet we're kind of supposed to be like, ha, 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 isn't this hilarious? And at the same time, I think it's interesting because the idea of revenge is that somebody does something to you, and then you do something to get back at them to essentially take them out. You know, like the point of revenge isn't like a prank war. You know, that's not like it's not like, oh, you do something to me and I'm going to do something to you. And then you're going to do something. like, no, the point of revenge is like Hamlet kind of thing where like you do something to me and then I'm going to kill you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so the interesting thing about Looney Tunes cartoons is kind of that there's always this causality and that it's like so Wile e. Coyote will set a trap and then roadrunner will get back at him by springing the trap back on coyote you know mm-hmm. and so it's like yeah. the cause and effect is always like it, it's less extreme than like what we think of as revenge like we would never say roadrunner is taking revenge on coyote we just kind of yeah. say roadrunner is more clever
1: yeah and i think that's also the interesting thing about the choice of mimicking the roadrunner and coyote you coyote cartoons because they could have picked like bugs bunny and elmer fudd or you know something like that but they don't they choose coyote and i think that's interesting because in this episode john Crichton is roadrunner on his little miniature... Shuttle. Module, yeah, yeah. Shuttle module thing. And Dargo is Wile e. Coyote because... For a lot of people, myself included, I always sympathize with the poor coyote who kept having his traps foiled, you know? (laughs) And so in an odd way, this choice of cartoon garners sympathy and puts Dargo in a position of sympathy for the audience because you're talking in this cultural language that does actually have a lot of sympathy for the poor wily Coyote who can never catch the roadrunner.
0: I think it says something about how John is seeing Dargo's anger and like Dargo's action against him. Because you never really get the impression that, that Roadrunner is like angry at Coyote. Right. You know what I mean? And at the yeah. same time, like Coyote always just seems so hapless. Like he wants this thing. He just wants Roadrunner. But he could never get him. And he always goes to these extremes. And again, Roadrunner's reaction never seems to be anger or any sort of like need to get back at coyote it's just always like trying to get himself out safe which mm-hmm. i think is like very john crichton
1: yeah there's not that the maliciousness in roadrunner there's no evil grin there's nothing like that he's just kind of like i see through it i'm going to spring it and then the backfire almost always happens to hit coyote and sometimes it's intentional that it does but it's there's not a sense of maliciousness in roadrunner's demeanor in those cartoons mm-hmm. you know I think that's a really good point about about John's reaction to Dargo throughout this whole episode.
0: Well, and also I want to just do one more thing, which is that we never really understand why Coyote wants Roadrunner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's always kind of this yeah. like vague, purposeless need because he always like the amount. It, it's not even like he's trying to hunt him and eat him. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because it's always just like it's like I'm gonna blow up everything to get you. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the feeling you get here. Whereas like if you, you know, you called to Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd and I'm like, at least that would make sense. He's hunting rabbits. Like the purpose is that he's going to either eat or stuff Bugs Bunny. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't want to get too extreme because these are children's (laughs) cartoons. But do you know what I mean? There's like there's always a purpose.
1: Yeah. I guess for Coyote real quick, you know, you could say that he's the predator and and Roadrunner's the prey. Mm -hmm. Right. So he has this natural impulse to eat Roadrunner. Yeah. But that's that's kind of the only thing you have and it's never explicit. It's just it's just always implicit in, in their and because he's a coyote and, and Roadrunners a bird.
0: Yeah. Well I mean and then that does that mean that does John see Dargo as naturally the one that would always do this as kind of like this inevitability of Dargo turning on him and Dargo being aggressive towards him because John understands that they're both male and Dargo is kind of like an alpha male or Dargo wants to be an alpha male. So he mm-hmm. wants to always have John under him. But John's like, never going to do that. I mean, he won't even do that for Aaron.
1: And Aaron <laughs> <is> like, <laughs> I think it's less an alpha male thing and more of an aggression thing, mm-hmm. because if you think of it in terms of the predator prey, the predator is aggressive and the prey runs away. Dargo has a history of having hyper rage and going into rage. Like one of the early season season one episodes, I think it was, thank God it's Friday again? Mm-hmm. When they go down to that planet. But John was hiding from Dargo for some unknown reason for like three days. So he was running away, hiding, while Dargo was chasing him all over Moya for like three days. Mm-hmm. So... So there's that history of John does something. Who knows whether it was right or wrong or, or intentional or not. Dargo gets angry. And that's kind of the pattern that they have had intermittently. I mean, not consistently. They're fr- they have a friendship. They're obviously not mindless. But there is that that pattern that they have had throughout the show so far mm-hmm. of Dargo kind of being wily e. Coyote.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Which so. actually brings us to pilot's advice. So... <laughs> this is actually when we get the explicit Wily Coyote and Roadrunner things because up until now Mm -hmm. the only cartoon we've had is that thousand ton weight dropping on on Scorpius but now we hear from Pilot as to what Pilot thinks John should do and
1: this Pilot is Pilot in John's head so this is what John thinks Pilot would say
0: what's up dude how you doing you're dying yeah yeah Dargo tried to kill me perhaps an overstatement well, same net result. Is he an enemy you wish to harm?
1: Oh, man, I don't even know why we're
0: fighting. Then rise above his behavior. Moi and I find it advantageous to avoid confrontation by aggressive. Run away. Aggression feeds on opportunity. Remove yourself as a target, and the pursuer will eventually tire. You're very wise. I don't get out much so i read well thanks for the advice you could try it now if you like um
1: (laughs) 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 so while this conversation is happening between john and pilot in john's head dargo is kind of sneaking up on john in the background and it's This is where we're saying it's very cartoonish the way that they are doing the live action in this sequence. So John and Dargo are behaving like cartoon characters would behave, with John standing there talking with Pilot, and Dargo kind of doing this exaggerated tiptoeing as he comes into the den, and that's when Pilot sees him and calls him, and then he starts chasing after John. And the other thing I want to mention on this quote, and part of the reason that we wanted to share it was Pilot says, "I don't get out much, so I read," which has kind of become a a fandom call sign for Pilot. You know. I see it on icons all over the all over the place because fandom is made up of introverts. <laughs> we read a lot.
0: <laughs> well, and it's so true though. Okay, because we have so many. Th- this is actually one of the things I like about this episode, is that usually when you have people in their head going to talk to other people or something like that, it actually it's maybe something they would say, but maybe not kind of thing. Like it's just something that the person needs to hear. And here, every time he goes to talk to people, because he goes to talk to Pilate, he goes to talk to Jewel, he goes to talk to Chiana, and then, of course, Scorpius is always bumping in with revenge, revenge, revenge. All of their responses are actually so true to who they are. Yeah. Moya's only defense is to run away. So it does make sense to me that Pilot's like, run away, you know, because that's yeah. all he and Moya know how to do.
1: Yeah, they have Starburst for that reason. And I wanna point out, this is something I just realized, that in this episode, the other plot line with the exploding ship and and Dargo and Gianna and Jewel trying to figure out what's going on, you kind of see these reactions that John has talked about with each character in their head mirrored in what they actually go do in this in the real world while John is unconscious. Mm-hmm. And in this case, one of the scenes we cut back to early on, about this time, is Pilot talking to Jewel and saying look, this ship is going to self-destruct. Moya and I are going to probably die, but you guys can run away and save yourselves. You get into the pressure pod, that's somewhere, you know, the pressure hull part, and we can eject that. You guys can have some food and water for a couple days. You might not survive long, but you have a chance, Mm -hmm. right? So he's saying to them, run away from this problem.
0: Oh, that's such a good point. Both the I I read thing, I think it just calls back to so many things for poor pilot because that also co- <laughs> for me calls back to like the unfairness of scratch and sniff. When like John's like, you should get out more. And Pilot's like, okay, yeah, dude, like, sure. You know This is
1: Pilot Outmore.
0: He is on Moya. This is how he got out of his planet, you know? <laughs> so then the next person that John talks to is Jewel. And the way this is kind of set up is he at first flashes back to live action so in his head even though he's unconscious he gets up and he's helping jewel move this like gurney thing and they're having a well
1: well, the conversation that precedes that is jewel and shiana fighting with
0: Mm -hmm. each other
1: and they're fighting and they're talking over each other you can't hear what each other are saying and then they're fighting so much while they're moving john's body that his body falls onto the floor and they don't notice (laughs) and then dargo calls them on it (laughs)
0: so good so that <laughs> in his head jewel gets he gets up and helps jewel move his gurney to like yeah where they might have to eject the pod she gives him a different set of advice so she tells him that the best way to deal with it is to talk to dargo logically you know she's kind of like you're both logical people even though clearly she doesn't think that they're <laughs> as logical as she is and she's like just talk to him
1: mm-hmm. yeah he's reasonable and 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 talk through it. So John actually thinks, okay, that could work. Dargo's my friend. So he's in his head still thinking about what he's going to say to Dargo and and then he runs into somebody that we haven't seen on Moya for a while. And it happens to be a cartoon version of Aaron, who is drawn in cartoon curvaceous style, wearing lingerie. And I think her first words to him are, where are my clothes? (laughs)
0: And then he proceeds to draw her in, like, increasingly sexy outfits, you know? Yeah. He goes through, like, Marilyn Monroe and Jessica Rabbit and Madonna. Yeah.
1: And Cleopatra quoting Romeo and Juliet, which he says that's the wrong Shakespeare. And I think there's Dorothy from The uh, Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. which calls back to all the Wizard of Oz metaphors that we have in this show that happen a lot. There's a... Baywatch. A Baywatch, Yeah and the last one is kind of hilariously nancy reagan because john requests can you do the the one from uh, basic instinct and then she's she turns into she turns her aaron turns herself into nancy reagan and does the just say no (laughs) or john says the no part because he's kind of horrified so there's there's all these things and i want to comment quickly on the jessica rabbit one Mm because that's the first one jessica rabbit is from who framed roger rabbit which is an awesome movie everyone should see it it's a cultural icon and it was the first movie where they combined live action with cartoons on the screen at the same time so it's really mm-hmm. a pioneering movie in that way and Jessica Abbott's one of the main characters and her famous line is I can't help the way I look I'm drawn that way and she's super sexy and, and everything mm-hmm. so that's the femme fatale kind of character
0: yeah. I think that none of these are kind of actually how he sees Aaron. I think it's just like when he's with her, he sees her as Aaron. But I think at this point, he's been away from her for so long that she's begun to kind of attain that like distant want. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I that mean? That pedestal. Yeah. She's on a
1: pedestal. She's, she's, yeah.
0: yeah. He's kind of put her on a pedestal, which is not really when they're interacting one on one, that's not how they are with each other.
1: Yeah. But I think it's to his credit that at the end of it all, she, does end up back in her clothes, in, you know, still a sexy, curvaceous cartoon drawing of her, but she's back in her clothing with it. As he then says, you know, tries to reason with Dargo, and even Aaron tries to help him out, saying, "Dargo, would you just leave Johnny alone?" And that doesn't work, of course. And they go into another Roadrunner scenario. I think the interesting one for me of what he turns into is Aaron turns into Cleopatra, and then she starts quoting Romeo and Juliet. So there's a the two famous Shakespeare plays. But I think the contrast between you know, being Juliet, the lover, but being dressed as Cleopatra, who's this really powerful queen Mm. of Egypt, you know? And so there's this kind of, like, different power structure going on underlying the lovey-dovey stuff.
0: How he actually sees her as, like, this powerful woman, but then how he, like, really wants to be her lover. Because at this point, he doesn't know that she and the other John are lovers, you know?
1: Right, right. And, of course, then it's a little bit undermined by, by the Baywatch one, Yeah, but... (laughs) whatever makes
0: her dumb (laughs) yeah uh but this is also when so the conversation like the talking it out with dargo we go back into like the looney tunes and dargo has dargo's main thing with john is the same as the as the coyote thing where you know coyote always paints a tunnel onto Mm -hmm. a rock and dargo keeps painting these wormholes onto rocks And then John can go through them in his module, even though they're just paint on rocks and Dargo can't. But now Dargo is able to go through it and he goes through it and then he gets hit by the Starship (laughs) Enterprise, which is one of a few different Star Trek references we get this episode.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a bunch. There's, let's talk about the the roadrunner scenes for a while because yes, it's like you know clear blue skies, it's a desert setting, but John is riding around on his module, like basically kind of like a horse. It's small enough that he's actually bigger than it, and then you have all these little things like callbacks to the Looney Tunes, but in Farscape style. Mm-hmm. Like one of the first. The company that supplies Wiley e. Coyote with all his stuff is Acme, but for Farscape it's Ozme, mm-hmm. and Oz obviously is a reference to Australia, which is where the show was filmed. And then there's the Mir space station is one thing when they're they're still in space and they're chasing each other that Dargo gets slammed by, which I looked up and it actually it was decommissioned in 2001, which was the year that this uh, episode aired. I don't know if that's significant for it, but I thought it was kind of an (laughs) interesting side side note. I don't think the ISS was nearly finished. So it was like the only space station and like up there.
0: We also get, instead of dynamite, we have frunium
1: frunium. Yep which is basically Techno Babble Farscape style invented by Ricky Manning, one of the writers, which is also his nickname, by the way. And so like all those little, little things like that, which I remember at the time on the Wessage boards after this episode aired, and this is obviously season three. And so a lot of these things were already kind of in-jokes for fans. Like the Frunium was definitely one of the in-jokes for fans. And and just seeing them on screen just felt like these little, these little Easter eggs for everybody. It was just a lot of fun to watch.
0: Mm-hmm. So then the other thing is, this is when John references, he's like, hey, we should go talk to Dr. Chuck Jones. He's really great at this sort of thing. <laughs> and so Chuck Jones was the guy that used to write the original, you know, Leaning yeah. cartoons. So the last person that John ends up talking to is Chiana, because as he points out, she is a master at keeping herself alive. So Chiana's advice to him is to be smarter than Dargo is.
1: Yeah. And to play Dargo's game and be smarter and beat him at his own game. Mm-hmm. And the way that comes about in the Looney Tunes section after that is John's the one who starts painting things, Mm -hmm. right? And and then basically saying, okay, Dargo, you come in. (laughs) And then it, of course, backfires on Dargo. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, and then the funny thing is, is then this is when John, then after he's painted like this tunnel for Dargo to come in and Dargo, of course, slams into the wall and, you know, falls down dead. And then... John paints onto the wall his own wormhole and all of the wormholes that Dargo had painted onto the wall John had been able to go through but now that he's painted his own wormhole on the wall and then Dargo gets sucked up by the wormhole John tries to go through and he ends up crashing and exploding and then instead of being in the cartoon world, we flash back to the live action mental John's world where he's surrounded by his exploded module, everything is on fire, and Dargo is approaching with his blade.
1: Mm-hmm. And the scene ends with Dargo striking down at John, and so this is one of the things that I also found was interesting about the progression of of each of these different segments. I, so there's three segments. There's three sets of advice that John gets. There's three segments of the Wily e. Coyote world, and then when he comes out of each one, you see on the screen above his bed when he's in the real when he's in his mental world with Harvey that his brain function has decreased. After each one, because the the focus on revenge and fighting is not helping him, he's slowly dying. And you see Harvey in the first one; he's giving John CPR after the first one, and then there's the second one that escalates, and he's trying to do the paddles to resuscitate John. Mm-hmm. And then after the after the third one, though, is actually a gravestone, mm-hmm. right? And I actually pulled this quote. And this is Harvey giving the eulogy at John's gravestone. And on the gravestone is written, John, Here lies John Crichton, human, astronaut, spelled N U T, and uh, natural born loser.
0: <laughs> Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to pay our final respects and to say farewell to our dear friend, Commander John Crichton, a schmuck.
1: Mule-headed, reckless, and probably brain-dead before I met him. Alas, his death is mine also. (sighs) Even I don't know if it's too late. We could already be gone love aaron that should be enough oh, soft emotion won't get the job done revenge cried to dog man to beast destroy the bastard john if only in your own mind
0: marty goldstein stole my bike when i was seven I went over to his house, and I gave him a bloody nose. Powerful emotional revenge. could have just taken the bike back. Yes. But can you just take your life back, John?
1: I don't want to be like other people. I don't want to be like you. I don't want to stoop that low. Kirk wouldn't stoop that low. <laughs> it was a television show, John. And he made Priceline commercials. But if you insist, then look to Kirk the way he really was,
0: savage when he had to be. He's a fiction, Harv. I know the difference. I'm real, I have to live with what I do. You can no more deny your biologic heritage than change your grandparents' birthplace. (laughs) These primitive animal urges you think you must resist they are not relics from an uncivilized time they are in you for a reason because you need them lot to unpack there
1: yeah so even even as john is dying harvey is holding on to this idea of revenge being the only way out because he doesn't feel like john is embracing it enough and John, in contrast, is saying, it's not working. It's not me. I love Aaron's son. That should be enough to keep me alive. Mm-hmm. And I just love that contrast of of John knowing himself well enough and Harvey thinking he knows John well enough. And there's still butting heads about about what to do about it.
0: hmm And the other thing is that when we first found out that Harvey was in John's brain after Dymie Dichotomy, Harvey was like, kill yourself because I don't want to live in your brain, essentially. And then here he's fighting for his own survival. So Harvey as a character has also kind of come around to wanting to survive and wanting to live. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that I want to point out is the Kirk reference, because John kind of pulls it at it two ways. One, he's saying, he doesn't want to be this hyper violent angry person. and he's like, Kirk wouldn't do it. And then when Harvey tries to invoke Kirk to be like, well, Kirk also wasn't hundred percent you know awesome all of the time, John is kind of like, yeah, but he's a fiction. And so John mm-hmm. is kind of using that fiction as like something to attain for like something that he wants to attain. And then Harvey's like, well, you know they you know he was also kind of bad and John's like, no, but I can ignore the bad and still strive for the good.
1: Yeah, the idealized version of Kirk, who, I want to say, in the original series, he's a different character than what culture has made him out to be.
0: Yes. Like, if you actually watch
1: the show, he really is a good, upstanding man who will try and do the right thing as much as he can without violence. Mm -hmm. And yes, sometimes there are violent ends that happen. And yes, there are other circumstances that create these, you know different paths for things but by and large that is his character and the culture has him as being a womanizer and you know might is right kind of kind of thing and so i really like that that john is kind of invoking him as a hero Mm -hmm. and and also they're both rejecting the parts they don't like of kirk for being a a fictional character Mm mm-hmm And John saying that, you know, I know the difference, I'm real, which I don't know how meta that's supposed to be because he's a fictional character on a
0: show called Farscape. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what actually that, that called to me about is that it's so easy for writers to write characters negatively, or let me put it this way. I think that there's a reason that the Wonder Woman movie has done so well as compared to kind of the two recent Superman movies. Because both of those characters were created as like idealized version of humans, as like the superhero as, you know, a force of good, as doing good for good's sake. You know what I mean? And I think that as a culture, we did need to deconstruct that myth, but now we're kind of at a point where the deconstruction has become the norm rather than You know, be good for good's sake is no longer really the norm. You know, we've got our Batmans, we've got kind of the whole mess of like the DC movie universe where like everything is dark and angry all of the time. So I think that there was a reason that Wonder Woman did so well. I mean, it was a great movie, first of all, you know, plug for Wonder Woman. But also because it was refreshing to have a hero that was just wanted to be good and where yeah. yes there's she's surrounded by World War I, which is this incredibly dark and awful war But as a character, she's not willing to like lower herself to that level and be you know be in the muck and dirt and you know kind of, Go dark, essentially. Steve dies, and she's still not willing to go dark. You know, yeah. That's kind of what John is struggling with. There is he's surrounded by this horrible situation, but he as a character is unwilling to go dark. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that a lot because the world that John Crichton lives in, in the Uncharted territories, of being hunted by the peacekeepers and all these things, he has had this evolution of his relationship with killing people and, and treating people violently. Like he tried to avoid it as much as possible. The season one, he'd always try and find this alternate solution in that little story. He tells about the bicycle. He says, I didn't have to punch him. I didn't have to hurt him. I could have just taken the bike. Right. So it's a refutation of that, of that violent morass that's around him.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and yeah, he has gotten darker as this show has progressed. And I think he's aware of that. He's very self-aware of how dark he has gotten. He's gone through the whole PTSD of season two. He's got, killed Aaron. I mean, that violence is still there. And it's not that he can completely escape it. But in cases where he can, he's going to try. Yeah. I really like that.
0: Yeah. So afterwards, John is like, fine. You want me to do revenge? I will do revenge. So he has a, essentially a live action version of Looney Tunes, where he is sitting at the end of Pilot's den, and in like a in like a chair. And then Dargo comes up on him, and he's like sneaking up on him in that like music. It's like the Looney Tunes music, but it's live action. And then he gets his foot stuck in a bucket and a bear trap, and he get, falls on a banana. And then he <laughs> finally gets to John, and. John, um what does John do like he pushes him off he or says something.
1: he says, "What's up, Dargo?" and then he pulls a lever that appears out of nowhere and the floor falls out from underneath Dargo
0: yeah and yeah. so then then Dargo comes back and this time John isn't at the end it's a dummy and it's and instead of a giant cigar in his mouth it's a it's a piece of dynamite and Dargo blows up
1: yeah and then John comes back on the scene and and I'm going to play this one because it, it really hits again what John needs to save himself.
0: On with the show, this is it. No cartoons, no crushes. Revenge. I'd like to thank the Academy muah, for this beautiful Oscar. Muah.
1: No, shut up, John. It's not presentation night. You ought to be
0: thanking me. For what? For saving your life. Sorry, Har. Har. No joy. I gave it a shot. You could have been right. You were wrong.
1: I don't understand. Of course you don't understand. You live in the country, but you do not speak the language. Just don't don't touch anything in here. You're, you're clueless. No, John. Revenge. For you, it's a way of life. For me, it's not the answer. Then we're dead. Don't ever distract me from what I really feel. Heart. I. Love. Aaron. (sighs) And that's when John wakes up. After basically his brain function having been falling, falling, falling. And then when he finally gets Harvey to back off, he can wake up because he loves Aaron. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: His love for Aaron is what saves him.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's it's the real articulation here that Harvey does not know John as well as he thinks he does. Mm -hmm. Like that whole, you live in the country, but you don't speak the language. And I think it's really really the crux of of the difference between harvey and john like they are two distinct people and yes they share the brain space but they do not understand each other the same way or Mm -hmm. the way they think they do i think john understands harvey maybe a little bit more but that might be my bias speaking i don't know but harvey from the evidence in this episode really still does not understand what drives john
0: Mm -hmm. i I think that's a good way of putting it because It goes back to that whole idea of very early in the episode when we were talking about how Scorpius survives via revenge. His driving force is revenge. I think that if he was able to destroy the Scarens tomorrow, like all of them forever, no more Scarens. I think that he would just have this complete crisis of identity, you know. Mm -hmm. And whereas for John. He's in this new situation. He's in the uncharted territories. He's away from Earth. He's lost everything that he knows. And his driving light is Aaron. You know?
1: Yeah. It really brings back, and I think in a lot of ways, it being his sole reason for living. It also really called back to me to Talon and John and a discussion he and Aaron have at the end of Green Eyed Monster, where they're looking at the star charts mm-hmm. and the star that guides John that he writes down in his notebook every night when he's doing doing his cartography. And it's it's Aaron, you know, and that's like the same sort of thing on both sides of the off both sides of the parallel, right? Mm. Or I don't know if that phrase makes sense, but Talon John and Moya John, they both have Aaron as a guiding light that ultimately will save them.
0: Yeah, that's a really good parallel. Yeah that's a really good point. Yeah. Hmm. So the other plot uh, I guess we're just going <laughs> to kind of skim it. But there is actually some good Jewel stuff and Dargo stuff. But mostly, to be honest, the Dargo stuff is mostly Dargo realizing that he's a jerk. And um, <laughs> the Jewel stuff, actually, I found really interesting. Which yeah. is, so Jewel has had, up until uh, at the very beginning of the episode, Jewel has these really sensitive moments with each of the, with John and Pilot. Like when Chiana calls Jewel down to help dargo um with his ship jewel leans over and she kisses john's forehead because she's told pilot she's like i don't have anything here that can help him you know because that would involve major surgery and she's clearly not equipped for major surgery in the middle of this crisis and so and she leans over and she kisses him really gently and it's just very nice you know yeah
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's very you know her, her friend is his been badly injured and this is touch of compassion and caring for him even though she can't do anything
0: more and then and then you mentioned that when she's talking to pilot and pilots like go i'll eject you you guys can survive a couple of days at least and jewel is like crying she's really upset yeah. at this idea and she doesn't want to leave pilot and moya behind mm-hmm. and so then we find out that dargo has been blaming john this whole time And then Jewel tells Chiana, she's like, I think it might have been me. Because before John and Darga were in the ship, Jewel was in the ship. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, like, I'm not going to take away from the fact that maybe it was Jewel because she does have the ability to make things go wrong. But also I'm like, that would be a very delayed reaction,
1: you know? Yeah. To me, it struck me as Jewel feeling guilty about not telling Dargo she was in the ship. Mm-hmm. And clearly it's eating at her and ascribing ascribing cause when there is no cause. Because like you, I was like, really? Would she have caused something if she was just in there hours beforehand? I don't know. And we, we never find out whether it was Jewel or Dargo or John who actually triggered something. So it's mm-hmm. it's very ambiguous. So you can kind of read it however you wanted to. But I think the more important part is about what Jewel does about it. So she's, this is that scene where she and Shiana are, are yelling at each other, and you can't hear what they're saying because they're just talking to each other, and they're moving John's body to the safe place that can be ejected from Boya. And this is where in John's head, at about this time, he asks Jewel for advice, and Jewel says, well, reason with Dargo. Mm-hmm. And then in the real world, that's what Jewel goes and does. Like She goes to confess to Dargo about what she thinks happened. And I'm going to play that one because I, I thought this one was really touching as well. I think it may have been me. I was in here earlier. I didn't touch anything. I was just here. I found this (gasps) in the control. Your hair. Are you going to kill me? I've already hurt Dryden today. That's enough. I didn't mean to cause any of Well, what did you mean? I mean, what were you doing in here? i know that i can be difficult that no one wants to spend time with me you're someone who i like and i know that since the problems with your son and gianna that you've preferred to be alone in here I just thought, if this is so important to you then maybe, maybe if I learn a little about it, we might have something to talk about. so like i don't want to say heartbreaking because it's not but it's just like there's so much raw emotion and she's like bearing her soul to him like and she's self-aware of how lonely she is and how difficult she can be and how much people don't like her Mm -hmm. and she's just trying to make a friend and i'm like oh jewel
0: i know (laughs) it's like this actually this actually scene really did turn jewel for me you know because the other thing is Dargo could still be really angry at her but even Dargo sees that like their loneliness is so parallel mm-hmm. you know yeah. that that they both want friend they both want mm-hmm. friendship and i don't know yeah this the scene really did make me feel awful for Jewel because yes she's annoying you know but i think that also that's just that her personality and Chiana's don't get along and then the yeah. rest of them just kind of prefer Chiana because Chiana has been there longer
1: yeah so yeah so it really made me feel for jewel and also made me respect her because she doesn't hide from dargo like that was chiana's advice after she told she told chiana that she thought it might have been hers like don't tell dargo Mm -hmm. right we're dealing with this situation you're going to distract him it's going to be awful and and she tells dargo and it's not awful you know Mm -hmm. she she goes by her principles and she she confesses and she basically says, "Hey, I feel really crappy on this ship because I'm lonely and I just wanted to to find something in common with you because I kind of like you." And Dargo's like, "Okay, you know, I appreciate the effort that you're making for that because mm-hmm. that is kind of sweet." And he, I'm really glad that Dargo recognizes that, you know.
0: Well, and this is also a good turning point for Dargo. You know, because this whole episode he's been so mad at Dart John and he's been like, "No, it's John's fault, John's fault." And then you know, initially he's so angry at Jewel and you can tell he's trying to hold on to that anger when he's like, I found this in the, you know, in the control console, you know, her hair being like, and you could see that maybe after the fact he was going to confront her and go all hyper rage on her, but then instead he actually listens to her which is something that he didn't really do with John, you know, yeah, and so you can kind of tell that like he's also gaining some self-awareness if that makes sense, you know and then he's also letting somebody else reach out to him which is, not, mm-hmm. again, not really something he was doing with John. Like, you know, he let John onto his ship and they were obviously like trying to have a bro moment, but really he hasn't let anybody touch him emotionally. I think pretty much since he and Aaron had that conversation a while back after Chiana and Jothi and the whole thing went down, you know, that yeah. was really like the last time that he allowed somebody to get really emotionally close with him. And then now Aaron's gone, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, and he's, and he and John have just been rubbing each other the wrong way. It's not like they're not friends, but they're in that state where everything that the other person does just irritates you just because they're doing it, whether or not it's rational or not. Mm-hmm. And so he hasn't had that outlet of a friend in John either, just because the two of them just can't, can't click. And it's like, and it really reminds you that, that Dargo, for all that he had a role in it, you know, he, was deeply hurt by Chiana and Jothi and that whole mess of a love triangle that happened at the beginning of season three. And it's, he's been dealing with the fallout emotionally of that internally with himself being alone, you know, fighting with John, fighting with Chiana, all these little things that have just been like, he can't find a peace anywhere because he had this emotional trauma that happened at the beginning of the season.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and also it gets back to the whole thing of that we've talked about multiple times where they can't escape each other, you know? Right. Normally, when you break up with your girlfriend, you are allowed to leave. <laughs> In fact, it is encouraged that you leave. <laughs> and don't talk to them for a while. And here they live
1: together and they have to work together to solve problems.
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, he's constantly called in to be the arbiter between Ju- Jewel and Chiana. And so it's yeah. like he can't really escape. And he still has to be nice to Chiana and he still has to be kind to her. And, you know, it's just there's a lot. I mean, yeah, like I, again, y- you and I have both made it really clear our feelings about, you know, Dargo's role in what happened between him and Jothi and Chiana. But I think that here it allows him some grace. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I mean, well, there's a certain point in any kind of relationship break-off where you either move on or, you know, you have to let go of some of that. And he just hasn't been able to let go because they're in such close proximity. And it's completely natural that that's the case. Yeah. And it's not like he was a sole owner of all the blame in that situation. There's a lot of blame to go around. that the three. It was just a mess, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. A lot of blame to go around. Yeah. So then they figure out that... The ship speaks ancient Luxon, and he goes, and poor Pilot, who's trying to do like eight billion things, and he insists (laughs) that Pilot give him any information on ancient Luxon.
1: He's like, go through all the speeches. I'm sure there's historical records. We we need to figure out how to speak ancient Luxon.
0: And so Pilot gives him like translator microbes, and the translator microbes let him start speaking with the ship and he realizes that oh no guess what he (laughs) needs to shut off the self-destruct sequence one of
1: three items all of them incredibly rare but one of them happens to be a qualta blade because his is ancient has been passed down through generations and generations of his family and what did he do with it He threw it into the giant pit that is the neural nexus of Moya. And so now (laughs) Chiana and Jewel have to help him find it. And so, okay, just perspective. So we've seen it a couple times before, but it's that overhead shot of Pilot's Den where he's sitting on this like pillar in the center and it goes way down. It's like a hundred stories, right? Mm -hmm. And there's all these other uh, walkways and, at the very bottom, which we've never seen, we finally get to see the very bottom because Jewel has to walk through it and it's this like swap kind of thing within Moya. And then there's like critters making noises. And she's like, Do other creatures live on Moya? And and pilot's like, Yeah, you know, we have symbiotic relationships with bats. <laughs> 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 yeah. So and then apparently the DRDs, you know, they put basically trash and construction materials that they don't need in this cavernous area on these all these walkways because it's like who's gonna go down there no one's gonna go down there except <laughs> when they need to find a quality plate of course
0: so then chiana warns jewel to avoid falling objects and jewel's like and then dargo knocks over <laughs> a falling object jewel blames chiana and chiana's like no, 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 I didn't do it. It just felt like it was something that might happen again with the yeah. prescience and Shiana. Jewel yep. falls in the muck. She screams a lot, but then she finds the Qualtablade,
1: <sighs> which is pretty impressive for how big of that area that she had to cover was Oh yeah, in, you know, like half an hour. But, you know, it's it's good that she finds it. And then there's actually this really kind of cheesy action running scene between Chiana and Dargo. And they're running through Moya and they're tossing the quality blade between them in the air. And in it's in very 70s like action montage because, you know, Dargo has to open a door. So he tosses it to Chiana and then Chiana tosses it back and they like, get on the ship and in Dargo figures out how to get the the Qualta Blade entered into... I mean, it's like a slot. It's like a car key slot. Yeah. It's really... Who puts that on a ship?
0: Okay, anyway. That, that <laughs> brings me, though, to like the... <laughs> what the heck? This is your only way to stop a ship? Like, no. This is so, like... I honestly wish they just found something easier. Okay. Okay.
1: But I, I just want to bring this up. We have long had on this show a... How bad is the plan compared to Dargo cutting off his pinky finger? Yeah. Remember, Dargo's people came up with this ship. (laughs) (laughs) Of course.
0: They made it really weird and complicated. Oh, my gosh. That's true. That's true. This ship is the mental. This ship is the ship equivalent of chopping off your own pinky finger. (laughs) (laughs) oh my
1: gosh so so there's Farscape hand waving and then there's Luxon hand waving that is in character
0: because Luxons oh my gosh whatever so they <laughs> insert it he and Gianna are like hugging each other and screaming and then the ship is like now belongs to him and it shows him all the stuff that he can now do it's this very triumphant kind of at your command navigation
1: at your command weapons at your command you know all this stuff it's very it's very ooh Dargo has his own little ship now
0: mm-hmm And then that is when John walks up the stairs and he's like, hey, what's going on? All the lights are out. Because remember, the ship essentially acted like an EMP and shut down everything that, you know, had that was connected to anything. And then and And then then he falls down again. He falls down (laughs) again. And I'm like, that doesn't look good. Yeah. And then the episode ends with John out in space and he's kind of just chilling and Mm -hmm. Dargo has like a confession with him.
1: Crichton, I know you're out there. If you won't talk to me, can you? At least just
0: listen. Somehow saying I'm sorry seems so inadequate. Ah, we'll get through it. I
1: have so much rage inside. So many things. Sometimes I... (laughs) I just need to control it better.
0: Well, now would be a good time to learn. You got a baby ship to feed. It's a curse, John. A warrior heritage.
1: My instincts.
0: You just gotta know when to control them, bro.
1: We have a code. Aggression against an ally entitles retribution. Dargo. Look at me, there is
0: nothing that would ever make me take revenge on you. possible for me to explain it,
1: yeah. And then, behind John, you see the, the his mental landscape kind of superimposed behind him as he's floating outside the window behind Dargo, and it's the Looney Tunes. And it's this really great little send-off of yeah, there's no way John can explain that to, to Dargo. <laughs> but going back to to this this ending between John and Dargo, it's it's a, it's a great ending to this episode. And I think it's also great for the arc that the two of them have had with their you know their constant fighting, their constant picking at each other. Where where Dargo's like, I really crossed the line, and I really apologize for it, and I feel really bad about it. If you want to take it out on me, I totally understand. And John being you know he's not like completely forgiving dargo but he's like yeah you gotta check yourself you know Mm -hmm. you you get can't let this happen again but i I don't hate you for it and this is with everything john's gone through this episode of like rejecting revenge it's really nice that he's really telling dargo that like i'm never going to take revenge on you Mm -hmm. you mean too much to me
0: revenge is something you do against an enemy you know Mm -hmm. and i think it's kind of this idea that yeah we might bicker but we're never going to be enemies You know, yeah, we might fight and we might even, you know, get really mad at each other and not talk to each other for a while, but we're never going to be enemies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And even John in there invokes bro, you know, it's like we are best friends. We are brothers. We have had this shared history and I'm not going to turn away from that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So it's a really nice note.
0: Good note to end on. Um, Yeah. Let's see. Wardrobe Watch. Again, like we said, everybody's cartoon for a while and that's kind of hilarious. Um, We also get John in, like, this plaid shirt, which I'm on board with.
1: (laughs) Yep. Uh, White shirt, jeans, and sneakers. And then later on, he's in a wife beater. Mm Mm-hmm. And, or maybe he's not in a white t-shirt. He maybe in the white white wife beater throughout. Mm-hmm. And everyone else in the real world is in their regular clothing.
0: Except for Jewel when she's like waiting in that pool of whatever. I think she took off her skirt and she's just like, uh, okay in like, well, it almost looks like a bathing suit. It was kind of weird.
1: <laughs> that would make sense. I mean, it looks like a cranberry bog.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> let's see. What would you give this episode? I really
1: like this episode. I would give it a four, four and a half. I think there's a lot to unpack with it. And the, the cartoon part is so hilarious and so well done. And it's just, it's so surprising. Like at the time, no one had really done this in a TV show before. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like the era where Buffy had just done the musical episode and then Farscape did this, you know, so it was, I feel like it was a time when science fiction shows and genre shows were starting to experiment with format a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it was great at the time. I think it holds up really well too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, like most things Farscape. Yeah, I'll go with you. I think that this was one of those episodes that when we were even talking about doing the rewatch, I was thinking about this episode, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a really you know, quick episode, and you know, this one is not like one of the ones that I remember. But now, having done the rewatch and having been really aware of all the dynamics that are going on in this episode, I'm like, this is a really smart, well-done episode. Yeah, really it's really dense. It. Well, I mean, and to be honest, it's been a while since we've done an episode this long you know
1: yeah we've had that much to talk about with it yeah 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 next week we have the choice yeah which takes us back to the talon crew
0: so if you enjoyed this episode or if you thought we forgot to talk about anything please go ahead and give us a um give us a buzz we are farscape friday podcast at gmail DreamWith and tumblr we are farscape friday on twitter and we will see you next week bye bye